All right, perfect. Adrian, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for being here. Uh, just before we get started it's digging into it, yeah, just before we get started digging into this, just, you know, give the audience a bit of background about yourself, what you do, and kind of where you come from. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Adrian Miranda. I'm a physical therapist. Um, I live in New York City, um, and um, I own Rosnandy Studios. My passion's always been to entertain people while educating people in the hopes that um, I can create behavior change um, because I realized that, you know, what I do as a physical therapist wasn't really that, um, um, it wasn't, it didn't use like tools or, or, or instruments so much. It was more of a, like a knowledge um, or people changing their behavior and knowing about how the body moves. So that's kind of where I went into. Um, so I've always wanted to kind of do something in television. Uh, I taught myself film, um, uh, everything, production, lighting, sound, audio, filming, lenses, editing, the works. Got into 3D, uh, 360 film, got picked up by a VR company uh, to help consult. And then from there, I was like, I never thought about gamification, but I was like, oh, no, this is something that's going to happen. So I kind of, because I knew some 3D um, and 360 filmmaking, I got into VR a little bit deeper. And then fast forward today, I was able to get an investor, a small investment for a web series I created called Gross Anatomy, and just got awarded a grant from the NYC Artist Core Grant uh, to create episode five. And uh, it's getting some traction, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm a physical therapist who wants to change people's behaviors to take care of their bodies um, to in, 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 in ways so that we can reduce chronic pain and injuries. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. And I must say that's a lot for a physical therapist too. Typically people get into the field and, you know, kind of stay there for 15, 20 years, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's also, you know, any other physical therapist, they might know a little bit about, they might know about some technology or some artistry or creative type of stuff, but they themselves haven't done it. Mm -hmm. At least it's very, very few. Um, and so that's also what took a long time yeah. to kind of learn on, on my tongue because I didn't go, I couldn't go back to school after PT school, just student loans, which is insane. Yeah. So I could not uh, afford to go back to school, but I did consider it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, I sit with a few other clinicians who also have a different skill set who can actually do it. And it's not just about understanding, but they can actually kind of get down and dirty and kind of do things. Mm-hmm, definitely. But oh, okay, so... But what really got you involved within physical therapy? Like, was there a really big why that you're going in there? Was there an interest in from the start? Because I see you kind of starting oh in gosh. physical therapy and now you're going everywhere now. Like, literally touching different tech, entertainment, every single segment that, you know, bigger uh, market segments out there. Oh, man, I wish I had a better story to tell you. Like, I tore my ACL in high school <laughs> or I had a hip flexor injury from soccer. I went to uh-huh. PT. I worked in the PT clinic. No, I just took a computer test, one of those aptitude tests in, in high school, and it said physical therapy was one of the top three. And I was like, that sounds cool. I want to work with professional athletes, which I had no idea about physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into it. Somehow I stuck it out, although I had a lot of trouble in, in PT school. I was not the brightest student by any means. And here I am, and I love my profession. Um, my, I didn't know about physical therapy. I grew up in the Washington Heights back in the 90s, uh, very poor, underserved community, mainly Hispanics. And my mom had a hip replacement when I was about eight. And I vividly remember my parents coming home. Um, soon after a surgery, I went to physical therapy. And my dad and I heard him say, yeah, we can't go back. It's too expensive. So my mom didn't have physical therapy, the first hip replacement. So I didn't know what it was. Like, we just kind of took turns sleeping in the room with her. 
um, to make sure she needed water. We got it for her. We took turns. Me and my siblings. I'm one of four. So I couldn't tell you. I don't have a crazy cool mm-hmm. story about physical therapy. I didn't even know what it was until I was about 19, already in PT school. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I had an assumption that it was like to help professional athletes um, with their injuries, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Got it. So now that you actually went through the whole process of you know going through schooling and whatnot, what are big stigmas that you know people maybe in high school or even college they think of PT now? But realistically, what is it like kind of going from there? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's changing over the years, even now after the pandemic. But you know, a lot of times people will think that you know physical therapists are just a place that you get massages from, mm-hmm. um, or like these stim pads that feel nice when you rest. But really, it's it's more about kind of um, if you're a programmer, it's like finding out where the bugs are, you know, kind of taking out the glitches and the bugs in the code. So as you move, your body compensates in, in proper ways and then in proper ways. And usually, improper improper ways is what leads you to having an injury or pain or a problem. Um, And then also, even if you have a neurological condition, it's to optimize your function to make sure that you don't deteriorate quickly or that you don't deteriorate, that you maintain uh, whatever function and abilities that you have. So those are kind of the stigmas that I think nowadays, I think more of the public is starting to realize, hey, you know, they problem solve your movement issues. Mm-hmm. pretty much and pain issues and, and function issues so it's not mm-hmm. just about pain it's about functioning and moving as well mm-hmm. got it one of the biggest things honestly i've seen within that physical therapy space is so many people get it confused with chiropractic therapy and whatnot and i see a bunch of clinics kind of combining with them too so what's with that kind of going on i know physical therapy is much more evidence-based there's a lot more research driven focus behind it and especially when it comes to data analysis that's required a lot more in physical therapy rather than chiropractor therapy. So can you just break those two up as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It depends. I've, I've mm-hmm. met some very knowledgeable chiropractors, so, and I've also met some unknowledgeable physical <laughs> therapists that don't do evidence-based. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just also that physical therapy programs are in universities, like research universities, mm-hmm. standing accredited universities and chiropractic schools. A lot of them can be on the outskirts of uh, the university-based system or even like teaching hospitals. So I think that's where the difference comes. But um, yeah, PTs do a lot of research. Uh, I know mm-hmm. some, you know, I would say that, yeah, there's a lot of publications coming out from physical therapy departments and research programs. Um, then you might say chiropractors, but it's hard to kind of say in today's day and age. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd say that's what you might think, but I can't say, you know, I've known some personal trainers who know the human body better than some physical therapists I've worked with mm-hmm. and know. So I think it's really um, that as a physical therapist, what I can be proud of is that our, our training goes beyond um, just uh, hands-on approaches. It goes into exercise, goes into the, the mind as well. It goes into just the full pick, a bigger, broader picture. And so we introduce all those things in, in class and we definitely are kind of evidence-based. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the, 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 the schooling is, you know, you do research in school but it's very much about evidence-based, uh, which to some degree, sometimes, hey, you push too much evidence and you don't for, you forget about the person's cultures, customs, values, their past experiences. And we kind of overlook that because the research just says this, says this. Now remember, research is not 100%, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, if, if, every, if N equals 100, chances are 100 are not gonna get better or 100 is not gonna get worse. So it's not a perfect science. Mm-hmm. It's an art, right? It's art and science. So that's what I would say to, to that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm happy you brought out the idea of patience right now. So one of the interesting things is that I like to understand more about the whole ecosystem physical therapy 
is kind of how does the patient dynamic, how does that kind of play into pl come into play? Because they always come in with some uh, maybe idea of what supposed to physical therapy is supposed to do to them. So you're a physical therapist, you've dealt with patients. Can you kind of dive into a bit more of their psychology of their side? Kind of what they're thinking, what their fears might be, and what their expectations are from physical therapy? Oh yes, I've dealt with patients. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's scary, man. Like, have you mm -hmm. have you ever had an injury or ankle sprain, a back problem? Uh, you know, even if you just felt sick one morning, you wanted to work out or do something, mm -hmm. um, it can it drains your mind. And so, when you get something that's you know we take for granted, it gets taken away from you. You you get worried, you get nervous. You know, even as mm -hmm. you know, I, I have a colleague who's like. You know his back when I was a physical therapist, and he's like, they this left cancer." Like he, his mind went all over the place, um, and we all we all have done that, um, and it's just human nature. Mm -hmm. But um, the patient experience is a rough one. I mean, it's a depressing moment when you get an injury or you get diagnosed with a condition that's out of your control, um, and so what you do is you try to meet them where they're at. Uh, you don't try to talk down to them, you know. Um, you really try to try to also understand that they're going through not just physical therapy, but they're going through life. They have children. Their children's sick. They're going through divorce. Their parents are sick and they're taking care of them. Their work sucks. They hate their job. You know, like there's so many other factors that affect the patient experience when you come into the clinic. That if you forget about that, you really can't heal somebody or help heal somebody or treat somebody. Mm -hmm. Got it. You know, I understand the whole patient experience. I've, been, I've played soccer for a good amount of my life, and the ankle injuries I've sustained are quite annoying, I guess. Like, it's one, one issue is on the field, and another issue is, you know, getting from class to class as a student. So, there's, there's yeah, no, you, you face issues, you feel the pain, and it's, it's a holistic approach, I think, that's necessary for patients these days. Not just, you know, how can I get someone back onto the field, but how can they, you know, reach a certain level of comfort again in their lives. Yeah, it's like it's like for example, the best evidence tells us that ankle exercise and then strengthening gets mm -hmm. helps ankle sprains, including some hip exercises. But what if you're so stressed out, you have so mm -hmm. many classes, so many projects to do that you don't have the time to do those exercises? Like mm -hmm. that's where the science just kind of gets debunked. Like yeah. that research says great, but they're in a lab, they're mm -hmm. in a isolated lab. But what happens when you go to real life? that's where we kind of sometimes lose sight of that and that's where you have to kind of be creative and, and you have to meet the patient where they're at mm -hmm. definitely agreed so how is your this uh, how is the clinic that you're working at right now how are you guys kind of like you know trying to plug that gap of like you know really understanding the patient's life and then giving them treatment based off that um so the, the clinic or the or my company company we'll, we'll start with clinic and then we'll go to a company okay so the clinic i'm, at, I'm working at um mm part-time um specifically just because i was kind of focusing on the on the uh, entertainment the VR yeah um as far as the clinic uh what do you want to know like how are mm. we plugging in the patient experience um, yeah so it's like what do you guys do telemedicine telehealth all this type of stuff to make you know, sure it's, that... in, it's in person mm -hmm. um and you know try to patients can book their own appointments mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of one aspect of the patient experience and, and we just try to be there you know mm -hmm. just whenever they reach out we respond as quickly as possible mm -hmm. Sim simple things like that got it so it's more like building a relationship with them to some extent yeah understood and yeah let's go into the company itself so before we dive into gross anatomy can you just give us a brief background of how you got involved into it and where it's at today 
I mean, I've always been involved. It was, it's mm-hmm. my creation. Yes. <laughs> and then um, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I was talking to entertainment lawyers when I finished the, I finished the series development with a company in LA called OpenGate. And um, just trying to make sure that I didn't get taken advantage of the day that came when I sold it or something like that or met with executives. Mm-hmm. So I was advised to start a company. It, there's more credibility. And mm-hmm. so it happened that I created the Nest Core. And um, that was in January of this year, February, February 2021. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened. And luckily, we've just been able to get some traction and eyeballs on it. And we're able to produce, uh, right now, produce four episodes. Uh, the first one was uh, not not funded, but that's kind of where we're at uh, mm-hmm. right now. But the goal is to have all sorts of different technologies and entertainment, which is VR, whether it's VR gaming, VR experiences, 360 experiences, mm-hmm. web series, um, podcasts as well, eventually down the road, stage plays and clinics that mm-hmm. are subsidized uh, by the income that comes in from the other, the other uh, streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. And so like right now, where we're at right now is we're actually in production or in pre-production for episode five, which will have a original song and musical number in it as a sketch. And um, so we just locked in the, the production date, which is August 19th. And then we're actually Columbia University in New York Presbyterian is a partner with me to do a screening at Haven Plaza, That's awesome. uh, which is an outdoor place right outside of Columbia University um, in, in Washington Heights. And they're going to screen it uh, and we're going to have the community come and, and show mm-hmm. it. Uh, we were able, I was able to get a New York City Artist Court grant for that one, and that's where we're at right now. And so, mm-hmm. even though like we're not even done editing or even producing episode five, mm-hmm. we're already thinking about episode six, which is gonna be kind of like an Avengers Marvel kind of sketch Love it. Uh, <laughs> in that one. And so, and things kind of change. That's the season finale, so mm-hmm. which is crazy. I never imagined that I'd have done a full season of a web series. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, you know, I thought episode one was just a sample and that was done, like, but mm-hmm. here we are. And um, I will have finished off a full season, directing, writing, producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Got it. My vision that I've had for a decade. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. So much awesome things happening yeah. during this short period of time. So just early on with everything. Right, gosh, if I could just hop in for a sec. Yeah, sure. Um, I think, Adrian, I think you mentioned earlier about how you learned everything on your own. Like, how did you go about doing that? It seems like, it seems like so much work. And um, I know you already learned about physical therapy, so you had that sort of knowledge base to like solidify the content of the episode but what about like directing and producing how did, how did you learn all that yeah oh my gosh great question so yeah so i would go work in the clinic and i i did teach i was adjunct at toro college so i like for example uh i had my acting classes came from like theater i got into theater in like 2012 to 2016 and um so i'd go teach in the morning i go to the clinic from noon to eight and i go to rehearsal from from 8, 8.15, I get there late, 8 till 10, and I go home, and that was acting. Um, but in the meantime, I'd watch YouTube videos a ton, and there was like a local courses for adults in Brooklyn for filmmaking that were really, 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 like 20 bucks for like three hours or something like that. Um, and so I took a handful of courses, but I just YouTube and Googling and like doing free stuff for people and hanging out with other people who are filmmakers. Um, and so it would just, I would work a full-time job and I would just stay up watching YouTube videos and on the weekends I'd go film and I'd practice it. And so then when I kind of had that under my belt, um, I would literally like, there was one year where I actually got to work at a studio, uh, production company for a year and a half. And when I quit that, I literally watched Netflix to study. 
like I would study the cuts that the director would make, the editor would make, why did they cast so like all this different type of stuff. And one channel that I watched a lot in the past two years, because I felt like I knew the software and the technical skills, but I didn't know about the financial part, the business models, and also directing and producing. So that's when I watched a film cha- a YouTube channel called Film Courage, and it just interviews all these producers, you know, not like the Spielbergs, but the people with like just underneath the credits that were still so very important people. And I would just listen to, you know, watch them and study them. And when I watch a movie on Netflix or a TV series, I would watch it with a different type of lens. I would be entertained, yeah, but it would be like, oh, they cut, they did a J cut here. Why do they do that? Why do they? So I literally would break it down. Like almost sometimes I would write notes in my phone as to, you know, why did they make this decision? Why did they color grade it this way? Why did they change the angle? Um, and, and, and even like VR stuff, you know, the designs, I look at the assets, like, um, you know, is it going to be a cyberpunk, you know, environment? Is it going to be a, a slashing? Is it for the shoulder? So like all those things, because I had the physical therapy, that was the simple part. The hardest part was combining the two things. That's what took the longest was how do I tell a story that's engaging and educate you at the same time and using design a little bit at, at that point. So those are, that was the, mo- the most difficult. Um, but the other part that they wouldn't teach you, even when I talk to people who went to film school, they don't teach you about financing a film. They don't teach you really about directing or like, you know, the production aspect of it um, and what's in the real world. So those are things that I was kind of fortunate enough to like know and study on my own. Um, but that's what it was. I would stay up super late or I was on the train. I'd watch YouTube. I was on the bus, YouTube. I'd Google things. Mm-hmm. I'd watch, you know, behind the scenes edits. I'd watch VFX stuff. So it was just nonstop. Like whenever I'm walking down the street, I'd be on my phone. You, my head would be down. My head's up much more now because I'm thinking about what I'm going to do as opposed to studying now. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost like, like shot listing. Like I had to kind of go back and review shot listing. Um, just to make sure that my DP uh, got what he wanted, but he, he was like, you know, it, it all worked, doesn't matter. So I had to kind of go refresh myself with shot lists because the format of the, of the production for episode five is a little bit different. It's more classic style. So that's kind of, in a long way to answer your question, was really just a lot long hours on the internet and YouTube and, mm-hmm. and, and being mindful about it. It wasn't just about kind of consuming. It was like consuming and studying and reflecting. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. So who would you say was your biggest influence during this period? Was there like one person that really stood out and that you learned like the most from? As for like in entertainment? Yeah, like sort of like the whole film side of things. No, um, it's it's just too much. Like there's so many things I pulled from different people. Um, right. And even sometimes it's just the shows. Like I would be influenced, for example, Glee, you know, that was kind of an inspiration for like this musical number. Um, the style of episode one was completely stolen from Glee. Um, then there was like Mr. Iglesias um, recently that just that came out, just the coloring and the kind of style. Um, but you know, the, the the reason why my, my vision is so complex, even when like my, when my entertainment um, lawyer kind of shops it or something like that, it's because it's niche. It's a very niche, and I talked to a Netflix producer as well. But it's also that my purpose to kind of accosted your question was the patient experience. How do you meet the patient where they're at was my show was to be able to relate to as many people as possible. And that's, that's hard, right? You guys have a target market and that's what everybody asked for. My general vision 
and I do have a target market, but my general vision is that anybody can watch is like when you have a family of your own with three and a half kids and your grandparents live with you, that all of you can sit there and watch it and laugh and, and poke fun at each other because of it. So the challenge was like one episode I want to do Mission Impossible. One episode I want to do Kiss Me Kate. You know, one episode I want to do Fences by August Wilson. One episode I want to do, um, you know, Michael Jackson. One episode I want to do Marvel event. Like, it's so many different things. Or other times I want to kind of make, you know, poke fun at cultures, like the French culture or the Latin culture. Um, so so because it's, it hits so many different things, that's also what was challenging. But the goal is to be relatable. That when you watch this episode, you you love Mission Impossible movies, so you're going to watch this. You love James Bond, so you're going to watch this. You love fighting. You love martial arts and Bruce Lee. You love running, you know, there'll be kind of like a force gump running kind of kind of style of first sketch. So those that's why I'm so influenced. I can't tell you about one person that really if any if anything, the one person that I realized influenced me as a kid, you know, was John Leguizamo and um Julio Julio Savala. Julio Savala is a Dominican impersonator who impersonated like everybody, male, female, Celia Cruz, Michael Jackson, Julio Iglesias. Miguel, um, uh, Luis Miguel, like he impersonated everybody like really well, and like something in the, as a kid, I loved that. So for me to be able and to relate to people was the number one thing. And John Leguizamo, just I mean, you know John Leguizamo, he's pretty versatile in his acting career. Um, so those are things that that I pulled from different filmmakers, writers, producers, comedians, actors, and also even clinicians. You know, there's people who inspired me as a clinician to learn about how the body works and that not one technique is actually great. You know, mm-hmm. it's having a combination of techniques. And if you're in the martial arts, same thing, like the best martial arts is a combination of everything. Um, there's no one style that's going to like defeat them all. So that's kind of the, the purpose is to be relatable to as many people as possible. And people tell me I'm nuts and it's not possible. Mm-hmm. I just nod and. and no, I mean, you're I'm always going to get haters in the beginning. So it's not, I'm glad to see you can, you know, yeah. You take feedback where you right, could exactly. and then build upon that. That's what I'd, th- I'd say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one thing I really want to hear from you, it's you've been working PT for a while and you've been working everything else surrounding PT. What evolutions have you seen from the past couple of years and where do you expect this to kind of go towards physical therapy itself? I don't think there's been much evolution. <laughs> Fair know? answer. Everybody, everybody's talking about how telehealth PT came in and people adopted independent then they just dropped it like a hot potato you mm-hmm. know as soon as things open back up so it's like yeah um you know insurance they're going after the insurance companies like crazy i'm like man it's been like 30 years like mm-hmm. i've been in school and they've been talking about insurances like there's gonna be a whole different model and you know people again same thing there's naysayers like oh, yeah well that's how it's always been I'm like hey, whatever so i don't think much has changed that's one of the reasons like for example high low tables 1300 1500 bucks and I looked it up one day, and right before I started, I worked at the VR startup. Mm-hmm. I was literally did a 3D CAD mod, not CAD, but 3D model. What did I do? I think I did it in Blender. I did it in Blender. A 3D model of a high-low table. Um, no, I did it in. Uh, I did Blender, but mm-hmm. I did it in Google uh, Draw. In Google Draw. Got it. Oh, so, even better. So I did it in Google Draw, 2D, but I also did it in Blender. So I had a high-low table I designed with different colors and just like different, like the the. It looked nicer, more model, modern. And I was like, why does a high-low table cost the same as it did in 1990? Like, technology's gotten better. Why don't we even have Bluetooth? That was actually something I was started, I was developing, and I looked for a, a, a hydraulic lifts, mechanical, like, industrial, for, like, 500 bucks. I was like, 
And I thought about the shipping and the handling, and I was like, I can drop the price down significantly. Mm-hmm. And then I got hired to work in, in the VR part. But that's something that's that's there, you know, ultrasound as well. Like, there's just no funding. That the, the amount of reimbursements and the income that physical therapists make is not enough to reinvest in the profession. So ultrasound machines, Easton machines, like, yeah, the research has come out. I mean, New York Times had the article out recently. No one's put in enough time and energy to kind of develop those, which I think they're useful with the right person, but mm-hmm. they're not useful enough to substantiate, you know, getting paid for it. But just the tools that we use, it's not that much different, you know, And but also you don't need that many tools for physical therapy, but the technologies, that's, I think, right now where people are kind of interested in. Um, people like yourself, you know, are starting mm-hmm. to kind of get to people's phones, which is a powerful thing, but in the main stay of things 99% you're still going to go to a clinic and get treated and your insurance is going to pay for it mm-hmm. and your therapist is going to be you know upset that they get paid so little so in that aspect I don't think there's anything like crazy that's come out in physical therapy um, since I started I mm-hmm. think maybe now people are just more knowledgeable about the human body but I think also the general population is more knowledgeable because we have information on the internet mm-hmm. but as far as yeah technologies were very 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 slow and behind you know um look at surgeons they're doing robotic surgeries you know physical therapists you know we're still using our hands and which there's nothing wrong with that i love using my hands mm-hmm. but i think we're in a different day and age now that we can kind of push start to push and there's very few who are want to make that change i think there are people who are hungry but they don't know how probably was what i tell people hey you're a physical therapist you graduate start learning something else whether it's design data analytics technologies programming coding filmmaking, um, uh, uh, hardware, uh, wearables, anything. Actually get into that as soon as you, you can, um, because it can probably be like in the next five years, there's gonna be a lot of technologies that are coming out. But um, I don't, yeah, I have, to, I have to say, like, I don't think that there's much has changed. You know, insurances mm-hmm. are paying less. If anything, it's gotten worse. Medicare is making more cuts. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's gotten worse. The patient care out there, I mean, we, we claim that we do great jobs, but there's a lot of stuff that we do wrong, you know, and that I push the profession to do better, even education. Education-wise, we're indebted. Physical therapy students are just I come out with insane debt. Mm-hmm. So how can we kind of contribute back into the profession if you're left with six figures in, in student debt that mm-hmm. you probably can't get out for get out of for thirty years, um, unless you you know do really really uh, do well for yourself entrepreneurially, uh, which has happened and does happen. But um, I think, yeah, we have to challenge the profession and even to help the population mm-hmm. doing something different and better, you know. Um, but as far as insurances and, and relying on the government and Medicare system and payers and advocating and lobbying, like, I don't, I, I think for years we've actually been losing the battle slowly. It's just kind of a slow thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where, you know, companies like, um, companies that can get investments, um, and to create technology is probably the way to go. That's kind of mm-hmm. where I stand on it, is that you treat the population, but your income comes from, from somewhere else. Got it. Okay. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, insurance companies, I've done my fair share of research into them and spoke with them. It's interesting way how their their jobs extrapolate as much as they can from a service and give back mm-hmm. as little as possible. So yep. what we've actually, an interesting thing that we found was the stuff we're building here, we're trying to build in another kind of revenue source for physical therapy clinics to have. So the device we're building, it's actually, the, the cool thing about it for scalability reasons is once a clinic does buy it from us, suppose we set it out for like, you know, maybe $200 or something like that. 
CPT codes have already stated that wearable biofeedback solutions, those are already fundable or their insurances will automatically pay for that already. So technically a clinic is going to be getting paid for some degree amount from insurance companies. I know Medicare and Medicaid definitely they support it 100%. Private ones, that's where it gets a bit iffy. I know United Healthcare does it, but then there's other I think like Blue Healthcare. Other ones are like a bit iffy on those, but I've seen a little kind of going there because now companies are getting insurance companies. They're getting afraid that there's these large marketplaces like Hinge Health, Kai Health, all these other pieces emerging right now, and they're gonna take everything away. So insurance, I think insurance companies they're kind of a bit scared right now. If you if I, if I, the way I'm thinking of it right now, what are your thoughts there? I mean, you, you said exactly what I said earlier. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you have to offset the cost by investments so that mm-hmm. the payer doesn't have to worry about insurance. Insurance is going to be there. There, I think what will happen is that employees will yell at their HR departments mm-hmm. that I'm not getting anything out of my premiums. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave or I'm going to reduce my stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the insurance companies will see a decline in their in their um, revenues, and they're going to have to switch the model. Mm-hmm. But then the hinge health is, are, are the ones getting outside investment mm-hmm. that they can s- subsidize to create, you know, MSK solutions. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that's kind of, I think that's going to be the, the new path. But mm-hmm. I think we we as a community, whoever's trying to help MSK chronic conditions, it's get the patient to do it, get the patient outcomes there. Mm-hmm. And outcomes can be that you're declining deterioration. Outcomes can be that they're, you're improving performance. Um, and that people, humans seek you out, that they don't seek insurance mm-hmm. or insurance doesn't seek you out, that either big corporations seek you out or the individuals seek you out. And mm-hmm. I think that's gonna be the future because I think people are just getting, they're getting woke, mm-hmm. they're waking up. Definitely. They're becoming like louder, and they're going to become louder. And eventually, if your wallet hurts, you're going to make a change. So insurance companies might have to make a change. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely. So I think that's kind of uh, that's where we're going. Um, you know, that's kind of where I, I at least myself, for, for what I'm doing, that's kind of where I'm going. But I, I since in school, all reimbursements are getting even lower. Mm-hmm. You know. United Healthcare is paying for telehealth. That's a little win, but you got tons of other insurance companies. Like mm-hmm. that helps a little bit. Medicare is doing it great, but you still have not 100 percent of your patients are Medicare patients. Yeah. So unless you that's what your clinic is, but I think those are the challenges posed. And um, yeah, we just some of us just gonna have to really really go in. You know, someone's like, I wish I'd done this sooner. But mm-hmm. you know, life is a way of teaching you things over the years that you know I had to kind of learn how to use investment money wisely and make sure I. I to how to manage money and and um, you know budget for the company, so mm-hmm. I think the the I I'm totally all about like shifting away from insurance companies. I mean I'll be honest with you, mm-hmm. it's it's there's income somewhere. You know Facebook can make income, but it's free for you. Mm-hmm. Then there are solutions out there, and doesn't mean I know everything. I'm just saying that what has not worked in 30, 40 years is not going to work, and so mm-hmm. we got to kind of figure out a different way. Definitely. No, I understand. It's, I feel like just now these days, especially the pandemic, everyone's finding these other solutions out there now, mainly because we're kind of forced to, whether it's kind of seeking the right type of therapy in the right place. And it's working. It's a lot of wasted dollars. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a lot of wasted healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. So it's working and why not kind of push more towards it, especially with everything emerging, right? 
So yeah, one thing I like to I want to understand a bit more about the kind of compliance rate and whatnot. Going through Gross Anatomy, building everything out, putting those uh web series out there. Have you gotten any feedback from viewers and only on that aspect? Like, has it changed anyone's life? Has it just been like finally understand what PT is? Do I know like what's happening? Like, what what are they saying? Interesting. Yeah. People. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm getting more and more mm. feedback. You know, I'll give you a couple. My uncle. You know, I put mm-hmm. out these the smaller videos. There's like the short clips that I do, the silly ones. Yeah. Like Be- besides the web series, I've done that for years now. My uncle's like, he's like, you know, this helped so much. I was like, what? Really? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. Oh, some of the stuff that you did it helped my shoulder. I was like, oh. And my other buddy, he went to Florida. He's like, yeah, I watch your videos, and like I haven't heard from like three years. He's like, yeah, help with some of my injuries. So like, I've gotten that feedback from like direct messages and then mm-hmm. i got other feedback from like linkedin like some random person he's a veteran he's a voiceover actor and he messaged me on linkedin saying oh my gosh i saw your web series and mm-hmm. you and your mother's interaction reminds me of me and my mother's interaction i love it keep it up mm-hmm. random guy that was awesome another pt reached out to me uh via linkedin but i got an email he's like adrian i've always wanted to do what you're doing but i've always been ashamed to tell my friends and family that that's like what i want to do and I love to talk. We talk. We actually mm-hmm. talk on the phone. I was like, that means a lot to me. So I've got, and I've actually went to get a massage from a, uh, today from a friend. Uh, we, we do uh, Lindy Hop and Charleston social dancing that we met. And she's like, if you ever need someone from Gross Nami, can we do a massage one? And I was like, <laughs> listen, one day my goal is to have a whole healthcare mm-hmm. web series that's like dentistry, you know, you name it, like whatever it is. The, the whole body, the human body, mm-hmm. one day. But, um, yeah, I've gotten people reaching out just now where, you know, for a while I was like, I won't lie, before I got the grant, not even a month ago, I almost quit. I almost kind of gave up. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of propelled me and people would just reach out and they're like, I love what you're doing and how do I get involved? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't have enough money for that yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a nice team now, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not to that extreme I can pay salaries. So it's been crazy because for, you know, a while it's just kind of quiet, you know, and then you wonder if you're doing anything helpful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I've been getting some great just feedback about I learned so much. Mm-hmm. This helped me. This um, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm, I was ashamed to tell to tell my mm-hmm. friends that I want to do what you're doing. I want to be a writer. I'm a, I'm a comedian on the side. Like it's just been kind of really cool. People kind of emerging mm-hmm. during COVID, especially they kind of emerged and, <laughs> and saw what I was doing, mm-hmm. and they're kind of hitting me up. And somebody reached out to they they want to make a short film, but they're autistic child, mm-hmm. and so they're they're asking me for help with that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. so it's been it's been really interesting to see the feedback um and listen i know they're going to be mm-hmm. haters and that's fine you know um and, and not only that but they're you know now it's less so for people like oh you're crazy that's not yeah. possible you can't do it all and then here mm-hmm. i am and now people are reaching out to me which is kind of interesting um but uh yeah it wasn't easy mm-hmm. by no means was it easy um definitely took a lot of time a lot of sacrifices and um here we are mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think at this day of age right now, we've hit an interesting point just in U.S. or human history where the value of money, I think that's decreasing when it comes to the value of ideas we're kind of coming up with. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, I think Jack Dorsey, Twitter, or whatever, I think Square, they acquired a company for $29 billion out of Australia. And that's that's a lot of money. That's, I think, one of the biggest yeah, of money, M- yeah. M&A transactions that happened in the year. And you look through the patterns and everything. Money is being given out left, right. Everyone's getting it. And it just kind of shows that the ideas that we're all coming up with now, that's overarching the money that can you know, be stored somewhere else. 
So it's I th- it, I think it's necessary for you know people like you to really push disrupt PT right now. It's been 30, 40 years. I mean, like it's the industry's you know been long longer than I've been alive, and yeah. definitely it's just it's necessary to do now or ne- now more than ever. I think with everything going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, and I think it, it's easy to kind of get into a rut and a routine. I think that's what it is. Like you're used to this; it's mm-hmm. challenging, but I'm used to it type of thing. And you just kind of go through the paces, and you know, change is is tough and it's rocky. Um, you know, just to get to be able to do these web series, it was really rocky for mm-hmm. a while. But um, you know, I think that's what it takes. You know, mm-hmm. that's definitely what it takes. I mean, from an injury, you know, it's painful. And the recovery is rough, but once you're on the other end of that, I mean, you're so grateful that you went through all that rehab and recovery and all the exercise you had to do or whatever manual therapy that you received to get on the other end of it to be able to go back and play your board or move or just even go freaking like walk your daughter down the aisle type of things, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's important. So see now, I think people kind of realize now like life is so important, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we sometimes have a short-term memory that we kind of uh, just go back into our routine. But it's like, nah, man, like, we lost a lot of people. Like, like mm-hmm. there was a lot of death and destruction and hate and anger. And let's make a, let's make this better. You know, I kind of, you know, saw, um, you know, we, I was really, really, really young when my mom was having her hip pain. But, you know, just watching her walk now, how well she's doing, it's like awesome, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I kind of secretly, I guess, said, I don't want anybody else to go through that. Mm-hmm. I don't want somebody to suffer and not be able to afford therapy that they need. Mm-hmm. So let's meet them at their homes, which is for me, television, the television screen. Everybody's, everybody's got Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Netflix, you have social media and you see little clips of your favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my passion since I was, I must've been 20, 20 years old at the time when the light bulb went off. But, um, you know, let's make it so that people don't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already suffered enough and let's, let's, you know, as therapists, you know, I feel like we get to know our patients closely because we send them for like 30 to 40 minutes to an hour, maybe mm-hmm. um, several times a week for like six weeks to almost years. Mm-hmm. And you really get to know the person and what they go through. And if we can kind of just drop that down a notch, like that's kind of like, that's the goal, mm-hmm. really. Definitely. No, I understand. I definitely agree with you there and just trying to help lives at this point not maybe just not helping someone you know it's not it's less about treating someone's like you know knee pain or something it's just getting their life back on track just especially with what we experienced so far and you know it's, it's necessary very necessary with especially i bet there's billions of people that kind of go through msk pains anything related to that yearly so more people that they can they know the treatments available out there they know that treatment's going to help them i think it's necessary for folks to know about that yeah yeah for sure and, and listen like to you're disrupting a space mm-hmm. so what i tell people is like you better be prepared for insurance companies to come after you mm-hmm. you know and so they're going to find any little blemish that you have to bring you down because they're going to take away all a lot of their clients mm-hmm. a lot of their patients so you know that's something i talk to entrepreneurs and, and going to the physical therapy ms case because i'm like yo you know you're disrupting an industry you will get backlash you will get people coming after your CEOs and your executive board and your validity of your research studies. If you're doing it right, that's what's going to happen. If you're not, you fly low under the radar. It's all right. Mm-hmm. But to truly disrupt the system, because the insurance companies are not going down without a fight. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Understood. So, Understood. Mm-hmm. Good to know beforehand, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Awesome.
But yeah, just wrapping stuff up. What are final, I mean, just final remarks from you. What are anything else you'd like to tell a PT that might be listening to this? Other folks that are planning on going in PT? Do you have anything to tell them about? I mean, I mean, I love it. I love my profession. Mm-hmm. I love people, love helping people, love seeing them overcome um, their injuries. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's time to kind of put a magnifying glass on accessibility to physical therapy. It's a luxury, man. Like, I grew up, you know, in the hood, and I, I can't remember anybody saying I'm going to physical therapy, you know, mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and so and even nowadays, like there's, there's still accessibility issue. So I just think that be creative. That's what I, I would say. Any physical therapist going into it, like going out and getting a job at a clinic, probably not going to happen. At least you're not going to be able to pay your bills and be comfortable and pay your student loans mm-hmm. if you have them. So you have to be creative. So when you come out of school, be very creative. Think of solutions because that's what we do. We, we fix people's body solutions is what mm-hmm. I call it. Um, but I love what I do. I really do. Like, even if I was like on television on Netflix, like I'd be treating, you know, mm-hmm. two days a week, likely be treating. Um, if not doing massive kind of talks to, you know, places or groups of people, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's a great profession and I love it for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, it's a good message to any aspiring physical therapist that might be listening to this. Just know they're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if you are a physical therapist now, if you're mm-hmm. in a rut, it's probably because you're not making as much of a change as you'd like to change to mm-hmm. make. And you thought differently when you were going to the profession. So even if you're five, 10 years in, 15 years in, which I've met people mm-hmm. who are in a run 15 years, 20 years trying to quit and change professions, try to fix the problem that you're seeing. You know, mm-hmm. if it's, you hate the MR, fix it. If you hate the insurance, go fix it. If you hate the way people are treating patients and the evidence behind it, go, go change it, mm-hmm. you know? It's Definitely. easy, right? I'm saying like it's like exactly like you'll change it. Yeah. Um, but if you know, mm-hmm. I can you know make a little bit of a living off of my gross anatomy series, and mm-hmm. you know you can make a living off of creating change mm-hmm. and doing what you love. So it's also like find your passion, find your love, fix a solution, create a solution for the mm-hmm. profession and for the people who are receiving our our, our services, and you'll be way 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 happier. Mm-hmm. Definitely, agreed there. Do you have any final asks? Anyone that anything that you know you'd want someone to hear about? Follow you anywhere? Follow your journey at Gross Anatomy? You know. Yeah, I mean LinkedIn is the best place. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, Adrian MPT, um, mm-hmm. and then on uh, YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/GrossAnatomy. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, we'll make right sure to, we'll make sure um, to put the GrossAnatomyStudios.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll make sure to put the links to all those sources down in the description when we post this out there. But. Yeah. Definitely. We hope a lot more folks really look into gross anatomy just as another way to really maybe amplify their physical therapy recovery experience because no one from no one likes just hearing about the science. They want to see some entertainment going along with it. And, you know, it increases a lot. It helps them with compliance, helps them, you know, really motivate through the whole journey and, you know, puts a little bit more smile on any, you know, troubles they might be facing in their lives. So... Definitely excited to see where gross anatomy kind of goes, and I really hope to see it kind of grow into, you know, maybe next time I'll see it, I'll see it on Netflix or something. So yeah. let's see. Big, big hopes there. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, thanks for having, thanks for joining us on our podcast, and you know, it's great just to being able to talk to you about this stuff. Yeah, 